was telling an amazing story. And we're going to touch on some music today that may be familiar to you. And you may have even heard some stories that are familiar to you. And when I think of, of the hymnal, of course, there's lots of different um, editions of hymnals. But there are, let me just get the right number, there's over, what, six, almost 700 hymns in our hymnal. And I think probably we routinely recirculate about 30 of them. So I would say if there's anything, uh, a bit of inspiration that could perhaps come uh, after the service, this afternoon or later, I encourage you to look up some of the amazing stories that inspired some of these hymns that are in this book. There's gonna, there are stories that you're going to be able to relate to immediately. There are stories that you will be able to appreciate. And um, as, as we get started here uh, this morning, I would just like to let you know, I'm going to be doing some singing, like um, Uncle Charlie said, but I would appreciate, uh, there's a song in the middle that I would like for your participation, for those that are willing to join together in song. It was September 27, 1735, and Robert Robinson was born on the English countryside. His life changed rapidly, however, because by the age of eight, he had lost his And to make things worse, his mother's parents, who never approved of the marriage of their daughter to a man of lower station, decided that they were going to financially cut their daughter and grandson off. So, he went into the town and served as an apprentice to a barber. And throughout his youth, as he gained that experience, he was, he was helping to support his mother. And along the way, he fell in with a crowd that one biography said lived a life of debauchery. They were a notorious group of hoodlums that preyed on anybody they could potentially prey on. And it was on one night with this group that Robert Robinson decided that he was going to have this group go with him to an evangelistic series to tease the people that had come to hear God's word. The person that was doing this evangelistic series was the famed evangelist George Whitfield. And during the presentation, Robert Robinson heard George Whitfield say, Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. And it stopped Robert Robinson in his tracks. He was no longer there to try to discourage. He was there as an open vessel for the first time. Robert Robinson, leaving that evangelistic series, 
not only was converted, but he became a minister of the gospel. At one time, he was pastoring a church with over 1,000 members. But his journey was not always a happy one, and he always was on a constant struggle with his faith in the Lord. And it was his sincerest prayer that he would be true and faithful. And this struggle lasted his entire life. And near, in the latter portion of his life, on one occasion, he was riding a stagecoach. And uh, not unlike the hymnal here, but um, back then they would have songbooks in which um, people could purchase and people would share. And this lady took out a songbook. And she started singing in the stagecoach across from Robert Robinson. And the song that she started to sing was, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. As she started, as she finished singing, the young woman asked, What did you think of the song? His startling reply was, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many, many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them if I could feel now as I felt then. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me ever to adore thee May I still thy goodness prove While the whole my heart with joy and love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. 
And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He took rest Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind me closer. see the words? You can see his journey. You can see his journey through the lyrics. This next song is one of the most uh, amazing transformation stories. It's also the most famous or well-known. And um, for those that have heard it before, I don't think it becomes a song that you ever get tired of hearing or a story that gets too old. The ship, called the Greyhound, had been thrashing about in the North Atlantic storm for over a week. Its canvas sails were shredded, and the wood on one side of the ship had been torn away and splintered. The sailors had little hope of survival, but they mechanically worked the pumps trying to keep the vessel afloat. On the eleventh day of the storm, sailor John Newton was too exhausted to pump. So he was tied to the helm and tried to hold the ship on its course. From one o'clock until midnight, he was at the helm. With the storm raging fiercely, Newton had time to think. His life seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship he was trying to steer through the storm. Since the age of 11, he had lived a life at sea. Sailors were not noted for the refinement of their manners, but Newton had a reputation for profanity, coarseness, and debauchery, which even shocked his fellow sailors. He was known amongst these sailors as the great blasphemer. He sank so low at one point that he was even a servant to slaves. 
His mother had prayed he would become a minister of the gospel and had early taught him the scriptures and Isaac Watts' divine songs for children. Some of those early childhood teachings came to mind now as he imagined the end drawing near. One of those verses seemed to confirm Newton in his despair. Because I have called and ye refused, yet have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof, I also laughed at your calamity. I will mock when you fear cometh. When you fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and, distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. John Newton had rejected his mother's teachings and had led other sailors into unbelief. Certainty, certainly, he would not, he was beyond hope and beyond saving, even if the scriptures were true. Yet Newton's thoughts began to turn to Christ. He found a New Testament and began to read Luke eleven thirteen seemed to assure him that God might still hear him. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts upon your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That day at the helm, March 21, 1748, was the day Newton remembered ever after. On that day, he says, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. Many years later, as an old man, Newton wrote in his diary of March 21, the same day, 1805. Not well able to write, but I endeavor to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer, and praise. Only God's amazing grace could take what would be a rude, profane, slave-trading sailor and transform him into a child of God. Newton never ceased to stand in awe of God's work throughout his life. Those familiar with the story of Amazing Grace know the story of a slave trader turned minister of the gospel. And near the end of Newton's life, when his memory was nearly gone, he wrote... My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. That is amazing grace. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But now I'm found 
was blind but now I see through many dangers toils and snares I have like a sober man. I think I'll hire him to cut wood for me. That was said of a man on the streets of Lake Rice, Canada, as he walked along carrying a wood saw and a sawhorse. The response from a man nearby was, that's Joseph Scriven. He wouldn't cut wood for you because you could afford to hire him. He only cuts wood for those who don't have enough money to pay. That seemed to be the philosophy and attitude of Scriven. A devoted member of the Plymouth Brethren Church, he had a sincere desire to help those who were truly destitute. Joseph was born on September 10, 1819 in Ireland. His parents had financial means enough to afford a wonderful education for their son. He was enrolled at Trinity College in Dublin, where he graduated with a bachelor's degree. In this young man, Ireland had the prospect of a great citizen with high ideals and noble aspirations. He fell in love with a young lady who, is, who he was eager to spend the rest of his life with. Returning to the house a day before their wedding, he on one side, her on the other, she fell off her horse, and he watched helplessly from the shore as his betrothed drowned. Eliza was... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
after the tragedy in the, in the river with his fiance, he started traveling and became a wanderer for many years. That led him to Port Hope, Canada, and he became a highly respected member of the community. He even tutored some of the local children in their schoolwork. And it was not unheard of that when seeing somebody that was in need of clothes, he would give them his. He met a wonderful lady there named Eliza. And tragedy reared its ugly head one more time as she contracted pneumonia and died before their wedding day. When hearing also of the illness of his mother, Joseph Scriven, on a bedside table, wrote a poem. And as a friend came over, noticed the poem and asked, hey, where, where did you get this? And he said, the Lord and I did it between us. There's two monuments that are up in memory of Joseph Scriven, and both of them have the poem hearing about his life and the tragedy that he endured. This poem that the Lord inspired him to write was, What a Friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's listen to this melody. What a friend we have in Jesus.
one of the most recognized hymns is How Great Thou Art. And if you could put the, uh, the words on the screen, How Great Thou Art was originally thought of in 1887 in Sweden. Karl Boberg was a young lay pastor, and it was during a tremendous thunderstorm in which, on the way home, caused Carl to seek immediate shelter. And so when you look at the, the verses of how great thou art, you're looking at somebody that was walking in a, and was on a journey. O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all thy worlds thy hands have made. You can, you can imagine being on a walk, on a journey. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. I couldn't bring my choir here today. But I'm going to share them with you anyways on the screen, singing this song, How Great Thou Art.
See, I think we're all called to be storytellers. And the best storytellers are passionate about what story they're telling. This next song was written 200 years before the story you're about to hear. The story is in India. And the story is a particular type of story that is one of my favorites, and it's a missionary story. And um, I would like to share briefly and thank the, uh, the few additional helpers that I've asked to help me tell this story. So, Reverend E.P. Scott was a missionary to India. And as he did daily, he would take a walk through the village. And he would, of course, encounter many different people, some, most, after a time, he would get to know. And he was a very engaging personality, and he was on fire to share about Jesus Christ. One particular day, as he was walking through the market, he looked and he saw somebody that was dressed very unusual. He had never seen them in the village before. And he inquired as to who this person was. Well, the response he got was, don't go near him, don't talk to him. This particular person comes down only a couple times a year to get provisions, and they're from a tribe up in the mountains, and they do not want to associate with anybody. In fact, most people think that anybody that goes up near there, they never come back. Well, Reverend E.P. Scott, that story and that person stuck in his mind for many nights, to the point where he proclaimed to his brethren that he was headed up into the mountains to tell this tribe about Jesus Christ. They said, it's madness to go up there. And he said, I must carry Jesus to them. So some days after traveling, he entered up into the mountain area. And you know the feeling you get when you feel like you're being watched. E.P. Scott felt as if he was being watched. And as he came around one trail bend, in a matter of moments, he found himself surrounded by this tribe of warriors with spears. They instantly formed a circle around him and started closing in. E.P. Scott thinking this was the end of his life, didn't know what else to do except for to take out his violin and start playing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. And as E.P. Scott looked up, let every 
kindred, every tribe on this celestial ball. He saw that the spears were no longer pointed at him. He noticed that tears running down the cheeks of several of the tribe members. And they invited him back to their village where he lived for over two years ministering to this tribe. And many were converted through his efforts. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Being able to tell a story, being able to share a story, this is the song that I'd like to invite anybody that is interested to sing together with us as we proclaim the mighty power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Caleb and Zasha and Lucia, for helping this morning. It was wonderful. Never too young to be a storyteller. You need to keep telling these stories. <clears throat> As many have lived and many more experienced, even rec more recently, you know that life is unpredictable. Joys and sorrows, beautiful blessings and distressing difficulties can come unexpectedly. Our life's dreams and plans can be changed in a moment. We all know this to be true. Horatio Spafford knew something 
about life's unexpected challenges. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost his fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Around that very same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Thinking after this that a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. Many of you know the story. While crossing the Atlantic, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of his daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving at England, sent a telegram back to her husband saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. I looked up what an estimated time back then would be for the journey on the boat. And it was anywhere from 38 to 160 days at sea. At one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy that had struck the Spafford family, summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the very spot that the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind. He wrote them down, and they have since become a well-known and beloved hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like steamillows whatever my lot thou hast taught. My sin holds 
the joy of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is we cannot always say that everything is well in all of our aspects of our lives. We experienced a lot of heartbreak and hurt and disease over the last few months, especially as it's at the forefront of our minds. There's always going to be storms in our lives to face and tragedies as well. And as I think of this, and I think of Horatio Spafford, I wonder if, as I read his story, I think of such amazing faith for somebody to say, it is well, I put my life in his hands. And that's not easy to say. And in closing, I would like to share one last story, especially for those that 
perhaps want to say it is well. But we're not there yet. It's a struggle. There are many things in life that can distract us. And I would like to just share briefly the story of Thomas Dorsey. Thomas Dorsey was, for those um, interested in music history, he took traditional African-American hymns and combined them with jazz harmonies. And he, was actu- he is actually known as the father of black gospel music, as these different genres of music came together, especially at the turn of the century in the early 1900s. And Tommy Dorsey was playing at this, uh, this one event uh, south of Chicago in Illinois, and I will read you the letter that he penned about this occasion. Tommy Dorsey writes, back in 1932, I was 32 years of age and a fairly new husband. My wife, Nettie, and I were living in a little apartment on Chicago's south side. One hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis, where I was to be featured soloist at a large revival meeting. I didn't want to go. Nettie was at the last month of pregnancy with our first child, but a lot of people were expecting me in St. Louis. In the steaming St. Louis heat, the crowd called on me to sing again, and then back again, and then back again. And when he finally sat down, a messenger boy ran up to him with a Western Union envelope. He opened up the envelope, and on the yellow sheet were the words, Your wife has just passed. When he got back, when I got back, I learned that Nettie had given birth to a boy. I swung between grief and joy, yet that night the baby died as well. I buried Nettie and our little boy together in the same casket. Then I fell apart. For days I closeted myself. I felt that God had done me an an injustice. I didn't want to serve him anymore or write any more gospel songs. I just wanted to go back to the world that I once knew. But still I was lost in grief. Everyone was kind to me, especially a friend, Professor Fry, who seemed to know what I needed. The following Saturday evening, he took me up to Malone's Poro College, a neighborhood music school. It was quiet. The late evening sun crept through the curtain windows, and I sat down at the piano as my hands began to browse over the keys. Out of this story, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 14, when the disciples are on the boat. And if you remember the story, Jesus appears on the water and starts walking towards them. And what does Peter say? He asks the Lord if he can come to him. And the Lord beckons him 
And as he approaches, Peter was distracted. And without his focus being on the Savior, he started to sink. And as he was sinking, he yells, Lord, save me. It's during this time that Tommy Dorsey reflected on that story. And so I would, as the benediction today, like to sing you verse of the song that he wrote. And I would like to encourage each of you to tell your stories. Tell your stories to each other. Tell your stories to the people that you come in contact with. Tell the stories of people that have come before us. Because we can gain inspiration and we can gain focus from things that happened today and things that happened 2,000 years ago. So at that piano, Tommy Dorsey reflected on Matthew 14 and he wrote these words. Meditate on them with me. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I'm Lord and lead 